0: If you've been tracking with us over the last three weeks, we have been talking about this, uh, this topic of salvation, about being saved. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up this little teaching series today. And I say little because really we could spend a whole year on this topic and still not cover everything that it encompasses. There are so many layers to it, so many layers to the work of the cross. So what I've tried to do over the past few weeks is try to explain salvation in a way in which we can grasp the concepts but also appreciate just how important this is for every human life. Salvation is about this life now and so we have to consciously embrace it and we really do need to partner with the Holy Spirit in, in making it our own. So. Uh, we started out with a broad overview of what it means to be saved, yeah? That, it, that, that being saved is at the same time a past, present, and, and future reality. And then we did a deeper dive into uh, the doctrines of salvation. So we took on the doctrine of justification. And then last week we spoke about the doctrine of sanctification. And today what I'm going to try and do is I'm just going to try and pull this all together and also talk about the final uh, doctrine which I feel is important for us to get into our minds is, and that is the doctrine of glorification. And if you haven't been around, uh, that word doctrine simply means teaching. That's what it means. It means teaching. So Christian doctrine is an attempt to explain in a responsible way the, the message of the gospel, right? It's, it's an attempt to to take what's written in Scripture and uh, about our faith and explain it in a way in which we can understand it. That's what, that's what doctrine is about and that's what Christian doctrines do. They teach us these principles and precepts in Scripture. All right, well, um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try and do this because this, this one was, I was going, I'm gonna, how do I fit this in? It's communion, I've got a shorter time period, so we'll probably wrap up at around 12 today. I hope that's okay with you. <laughs> You're good people, and the things of God are important to you, so you won't leave. Be out, lock the doors. <laughs> okay, no, I'm kidding. We're going we're gonna to get into it and, and see how we go. I want to I start off this morning by just taking a step back for a moment and doing a, a quick overview of the fall of humanity. And I, th- I think this is really important for us to keep in mind, because the redemption story of Scripture is that we are going to be returned as human beings to what God originally intended. We think we understand what it means to be truly human now. No, we don't. We have no idea. We are still going to discover what it means to be truly human, to be who God intended for us to be. And that's the story of Scripture. Our eternal hope as Christians is to be restored to who God uh, wanted us to be and to what He originally intended with the whole of creation, right? That's why you see the tree of life in the beginning and you see it right at the end of of the book. Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. He says, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, right? Who are called according to his purpose. And then Paul goes on and he says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. To be conformed to the image of his Son in order... That he, Jesus, might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Anybody know exactly what's going on over there? All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just try and unpack it a little. Okay. Because there's a promise to you, to each one of us, yet in in these words. And the promise is, is that everything in your life, all the difficult things, the challenging things, the good things, the fabulous things, everything in your life, God is going to use to work together for good. He's going to work for good in your life. That's God's plan for all of us. He wants to work for good in our lives. And when Paul says that God foreknew us, that means that God knew, Debbie, that you were going to be on the planet. He knew before you even woke up and started crying in your mommy's arms, God knew you were going to be on the planet. And same for you, Craig. And for you, Kirsty. I'm not sure what God thought. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, sh- Kirsty interrupted my sermon last week, and I blamed Sherry Lee for it. I only found out on Tuesday you were the one chirping me about my bad woman joke that I made. And I, but I have to repent. I have to repent. I'm, I'm, I'm not a chauvinist. So... But, but God foreknew us, right? So, Kirsty, he knew you were going to be here. He knew you were going to be on, on the planet. And he predestined you, right? What is that all about? That means that God's got a plan for you. God's made a plan for your life. He's planned for you in advance. And he has called you, Paul says. And so if you've responded to that call by believing in Jesus, he's justified you. You're made right before him. We spoke about that two weeks ago. And then Paul says, and because of that, he will glorify you. He'll glorify you. Now, the aim of our predestination is our likeness to Jesus. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. Every one of us is an image bearer. We bear the image of God. There's something very, very special about human beings. And we have likeness ability. We, we can, this is the plan of God. He wants us, our likeness to be that of Jesus. This is why sanctification is important. Paul Bright says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So your holiness, your sanctification, your becoming like Jesus is God's aim for your life for eternity. Predestination means predestined to be like Jesus. This is what we should all be giving ourselves to. This is what we should be giving ourselves to, to be like Jesus, to be Christ-like. This is what we should be praying for in our lives. This is what we should be studying and reading and meditating on Scripture for. This is what we should be fighting for at times, even suffering for at times, trusting for, to be like Jesus. Our eternal destiny is to be like Jesus and that is all about being prepared to see and appreciate his superiority this is about having the character and the likeness of Jesus so that we can know him and see him and love him and admire him and make much of him this is what Paul says when he's when he says that he will be the firstborn within a large family he will be the firstborn and so Paul makes it clear that Jesus will forever and always be supreme. He's going to be above us. And that we need to be holy in order to be with Him and enjoy Him forever. I said last week that the teaching of the New Testament is not how to be admitted to heaven. Because that's a fallacy. I would say maybe it's a heresy. Because there's a lot of Christians walking around today and say, Well, I prayed a prayer. I stood and I raised my hand and I prayed. And you know, I might not have been baptized, but I believe... And, and, and they think in their minds that the reason why I've done that is so that one day I'll be with him in heaven. That's what they think. It's like I'll, I'm, I'm going to be in heaven one day. And that's wrong. The teaching of the New Testament is not a, how to be in heaven or how to get to heaven. The teaching of the New Testament is how to become the kind of human who can actually live there. That's why the Scripture is so heavy on this thing about becoming holy, so that you be prepared to actually live there. So if you're living a life now that's contrary to this, you, you need to stop and do a check and say, God, how far am I missing the mark over here? How prepared am I to actually be with you one day? Because I might just make it like, you know, like just through the flames, like by the skin of my teeth. And then, I'm gonna, then you're going to have a whole lot of work to do in my life. And so God says, begin the process now. This is what I want to do in your life. See, in, in the beginning, humans were created to live in communion with God. Adam and Eve, when you read in the book of Genesis, they had deep, deep intimate relationship with God. There was a deep connection with God. And humanity was created as a psychosomatic whole. Big word, psychosomatic whole. So what Scripture clearly teaches is that we were intended for intimate relationship with God, communion with God, deep relationship with God. And God created us as a unity of both the physical and the spiritual. God created us material and immaterial. You're not just a physical human body, blood, muscles, corpuscles and all that stuff running around on the planet. There's something deeper about you, right? And so we were created. In his image and likeness, and God is spirit, the scripture tells us. So we were, there was something unique about us, created on earth to have creation, to have communion with him. We are like a spirit or a soul, and, and we are embodied, made in the image and likeness of our creator God. Now, death is an, is an abnormal phenomenon. Death really is an insult to God's perfect work. That's why in Jesus, God came and death got conquered. Death no longer has the final say. That's why we make such a big deal of the resurrection, right? The resurrection of Jesus coming out of that tomb on the third day is so important for us because it proves that death will not hold us. Death's not going to hold us. So the story of Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 3 tells us how that communion with God got broken, and that's what God wants to restore. And that, that restoration of communion relationship with God comes through Jesus, but now it's broken. I don't know if you've ever seen that little salvation deal that they, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up in the 70s, like I'm a 70s kid and, and uh, they used to have these tracts. Anybody know what a tract is? And, uh, and one of those little tracts was like the story of salvation and they'd say, well, you here and God's here and there's a big divide in between. And the only way that you're going to get across it is the cross, right? Through Jesus. And the purpose of getting across the divide is so that you can have restored relationship with God. So that's correct in a way because our communion, our relationship has been broken with God. It's been broken through disobedience, through rebellion, through humanity trying to become gods without God. Go and read Genesis 3. So so there's been some effects of that rebellion, of that disobedience. And some of them are are that there's a separation or a loss of communion with God. I mean, that's the big one. There's a break in relationship with, with God, our creator. And... Death entered the picture, right? Immediately, the work of the enemy came in. And and we see this because one of the very first things that happens is a brother murdering his brother. Abel is murdered. So death enters enters the picture. And it's not just a a, a physical death, it's a spiritual death. And so many people today are walking around on the planet spiritually dead, right? There was a separation and a loss of communion with our fellow human beings, right? Right? that, that murder of Abel um, is an illustration of that. Breakdown in, in communion and relationship with human beings. And what are we seeing on the planet right now? It's perpetuated. War and more war and more war and more killing and more murder. We see the exploitation of the physical world. What did God say in Genesis? He says, I've created you. You have dominion. Steward the earth. Look after the earth. Take care of it. And what are we seeing now? The exploitation of it. (laughs) Plastic in the ocean. Animal species going extinct. All kinds of things. Mines. Who works for mines? (laughs) I'm just just kidding. Okay. But there's the exploitation of the physical world. All right. It's not your guy's fault. You just got a job. Okay. we just need to take a look at the world. I mean, and, and every human being, even though we're not born with sin, every one of us is because of the fall. We are born with sin. Uh, with uh, we're, um, we're born with a propensity for sin or the inclination towards sin, which is why we need saving. Now, as I've spoken in the last few weeks, and what we've discovered is that there are three stages of being saved. Remember, the first one is that I have been saved. In other words. When I decided, when Andrew decided to exercise his faith and believe in Jesus and accept him as the forgiver of my life and the leader of my life, that response of faith allows me to stand in his grace. Right? I stand righteous. I am made right with God. I have relationship restored. I stand righteous before him because of God's gracious forgiveness of my sins. Because of his grace and his love, I am saved from eternal death, and I'm given eternal life. And that decision was then made public. And how, do you, how does a person make that decision public? Just say it louder. Baptism. baptism. Oh, yes. And we've got a baptism coming up in November. And if you ain't been baptized yet, you need to get on your knees and repent and put your name down and come and get baptized. Okay. Because that's, what, that's, that's the deal. Through baptism, I'm now making a declaration to the world of my decision. So the, it's evidenced in baptism, and, and so baptism, there's a spiritual connection there. It's, it's, um, it's not just a physical thing of going under the water. There's God's involved in that, and, 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 and it has deep meaning because it signifies our saving from sin and death. Right? Baptism is the tomb. I thought I'd just put this, these few verses in here from Romans chapter 6. Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we also, as we come out of that water, might walk in newness of life. For we, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, was crucified with him, So that the body of sin might be destroyed. So that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Right? Are you with me? Are you with Paul? For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. See, baptism's big. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has any dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once again for everyone once for all he took on the sin of humanity he did it for us but the life he lives he lives to God so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ so that phase is called justification and if you want more details on that go listen to the podcast by exercising my faith and believing in Jesus, by being baptized to publicly state my decision, I stand justified, I stand made right with God. And what I've done is I've taken up the invitation to have deep relationship with Him, to have restored communion with Him. The second stage is that I am being saved. We spoke about this last week. This is about our daily walk with Jesus. This phase is what the, it comes under the doctrine of sanctification. Sanctification is the process of growth in a christian's life sanctification means to make holy that's what she actually mentioned here this morning to make holy holiness is important you see god's desire is for reconciliation with all of humanity god desires to have a relationship with you a relationship of love and obedience, and of trust, and of commitment, a relationship that involves both His will and your will. And the work of salvation, let me tell you something this morning, is not a one-time deal that took place in 19-whatever. This is, this is, salvation is going to continue in your life. Why you need to pay attention for it, to it is because it's important that you become like Jesus. But it's never going to be finished in your life, in your earthly life. Every day of your life is a call to holy living. Every day of our lives really is sometimes it's a struggle for salvation. It's the narrow road. It's a the different path. It's different to the way the world does things. We looked at Philippians 2 last week where Paul says, My beloved, and then he goes on to tell them that he was there and then he wasn't and they were listening to him and he was very proud of them. But he, says, he said to them, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's Paul saying over there? He's saying take your salvation seriously. Work it out. It's got to be worked out in your life. Now you might ask yourself why? Why, 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 take it? why fear and trembling? Why take this seriously? Well the reason why you need to take it seriously is because the alternative is pretty gruesome. If, if, I'm, not, if I'm not working out my salvation, I'm working out my damnation. We, we either have turned ourselves towards the light or we've turned ourselves to a path that's going to lead to darkness. That's why we need to take it seriously. Here's what the psalmist wrote back in the Old Testament in Psalm 1. He says, Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. And we would take that and we would say, that's the word of God. I'm going to meditate on this. This is going to become important for my life. And then the psalmist says, These people are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. And in the old days, what they used to do to separate the the wheat kernel from the the little skin thing around it, which is called the chaff, they would toss it up in the air. And the, 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 the seeds would fall back into the basket and the wind would blow the chaff away. That's the illustration here. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, with the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we work out our salvation every day. When we mess up, who messes up here? Does anybody ever mess up? Not very honest here this morning. I, my hand was up. I mess up. I mess up all the time. And when I mess up, what do I do? What do you do when you mess up? We say sorry, we get it right with God, we confess our sin, we repent of it. We say, God, I don't want this in my life, help me deal with this so I can get, a, get it out. I want to turn to your way. And in fact, life becomes, a life of, it's a life of constant repentance. Because what sin does when sin is in our life is it cuts us off from God. It, because God cannot be where sin is. So it cuts us off from God. So we, we, we shouldn't allow that in our lives. Sin is anything that's going to distort my relationship with God. Because sin is going to separate me from God. That's what sin does. It causes me to miss the mark. And God's mark is holiness. And when I begin to do things my own way and I live a sinful life, I miss the mark. Right? causes us to miss the mark, to miss the holy character of God, which is what God is wanting to form within us. The character, the holiness of God. So in choosing repentance as a way of life, what we're doing is we're choosing the gateway to the kingdom. Right, this is about the king, the rule of and reign of God in my life. Repentance opens me up to my true potential in God, and so repentance is not something that I need to become all mournful about. And I think when I think of repentance, that it just points out my weaknesses. No, repentance is it's joyful. It's like God, thank you that I'm gonna I'm aiming for the mark. So living a life of repentance um, reminds me of who and what God wants me to be. That's good. And so this salvation is more about relationship than just a decision that you make back in 19-something. Um, salvation is about relationship. It's not just about um, that decision that you make for Christ or accepting a, a what Jesus did. Salvation is supposed to be something that's dynamic in our lives. Salvation is a relationship and it is, it is intimacy with our Creator. It's, it's a relationship where the Holy Spirit changes us to be more like Jesus. And so out of that relationship, we can bring the light of God into a very dark world because that's what's supposed to happen. Changed people need to produce a changed world. That's what we work for. That's what good works are about. I'm I'm a child of God, and now I'm going to try and bring the kingdom into the dark world around me. I'm going to shine that light so that I bring God's goodness into this hopeless world. We're saved for love and for fruit bearing, aren't we? We should all be fruit bearers. You know what kind of fruit I'm talking about? Figs, peaches, apples? No, I'm talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We are saved for fruit bearing, and so that, that, that needs to start to grow in our lives. That needs to become a part of who we are. And the more the, Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit grows in our lives, the more we're gonna advance the kingdom of God. So we've got to have deep relationship with God. Salvation is about communion and union with Jesus. It is a journey of dynamic growth. And that phase is called sanctification. And this is what our lives are about right now. Sanctification, ongoing salvation in our lives. Now the final stage of salvation is I will be saved. I will be saved. And this is about our final glory with Christ Jesus. This is about the doctrine of glorification big word, glorification. And what does glorification mean? Jude, God's final removal of sin from the life of everyone who is saved in that eternal state. Gone. And and this experience of glorification is going to encompass our entire existence. We will one day mirror Jesus. We will be like him. Our fallen, sinful nature removed, no longer susceptible to temptation and sin, completely free to perfectly obey God. Wouldn't that be amazing? I don't know about you, but that's something I'm looking forward to. And glorification is not limited to the spiritual dimension of our existence. Glorification is going to extend to our physical resurrected bodies as well. Our bodies will no longer be subject to pain. We will no longer have tears of, from hurts because there's going to be no more decay or sickness or disease or death. This is good news. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've obtained access to His grace in which we now stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. The glory of God is about the holiness of God. That's what I'm boasting about. I'm boasting about the fact that I will one day be like him, holy like him, completely holy. Now I'm on a journey towards holiness. That's what my life is for now. That's the most important thing in my life. And I boast about that sharing in in the the glory, the the, the holiness of God. Hey, the day's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's the day or the hour that no one knows about. At the appearance of Jesus, at, 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 at Christ's coming, the glory of God, which is his, his honor, his praise, his majesty, his holiness, is going to be realized in us. It will be fully realized in us. Instead of being mortals, burdened with a sinful nature, we're going to be changed into immortals, holy immortals, with direct and unhindered access to God's presence. We're going to be in community with each other as we enjoy deep and intimate relationship with him throughout eternity. And this is why every day of your life and every day of my life should be focused on Jesus. Every day of our lives, we need to be looking through at the world through the lenses of Jesus. Give me your eyes, Lord, to see this world around me, to see the lives around me, right? He's got to be the one and his word that shapes my worldview. Because he is my hope. He's my ultimate hope. And so glorification is the, is the culmination of sanctification. At the, at the last trumpet, when Jesus comes, every believing Christian is going to undergo fundamental and instant transformation. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. "Look, I'll tell you a mystery," he says. "We're not going to all die, but we will all be changed." In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet,! I don't know if it's going to quite sound like that. Sounds like a bad rooster. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead look look at these words here, the dead will be raised." imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And Paul writes, the power of sin is the law. It had a greater meaning for those early Christian uh, people who were mainly Jewish and who were still caught up in the law of the Old Testament. But Paul says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, you know that your labor is not in vain You know that when you wake up tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and you've got to go and do all the stuff that you've got to do and you've got to sit next to that person in your row of cubicles or sit next to that person on the plane or in a pit on a mine or with a patient or whatever whatever it is, and it's really, really difficult. You know that as you begin to live your life for Christ and be the light of Christ in that situation, even though it seems sometimes like, God, this is so hard. I'm surrounded by heathen and Philistines and and, and, don't go down that path, Andrew, but your labor to, to, to live live for Jesus is not in vain. That's what he's saying. It's not in vain because of your hope. According to Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. When Jesus returns, we're going to be transformed to be just like him. Our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there that we're expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will transform your body, your body of humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory, the body of Jesus. By the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. And John has this to say in 1 John 3 verse 2. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this, that when he is revealed, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. We will see him as he is. Do you want to recognize him? This is why you need to be allowing the Holy Spirit to generate and work within you and you partner with that, that you become holy. You don't want to miss him. Oh, I didn't recognize you. You want to recognize him. We will see him as he is because we know him, because our minds and our spirits are alive to him. And John says this in verse 3. He says, uh, and this is actually something Chi said earlier, all who have this hope in him, if your hope is to be with him one day, John says, purify yourself just as he is pure. Purify yourself. That's what it, this is what it means to be glorified. It, it means that we are going to be like him, and we need to allow the Spirit of God to do that work of change and transformation in us. We're going to be perfectly conformed to the image of God. We're going to be like him. But what John's saying here in verse 3 is that in the meantime, this hope that we have should spur us on, spur us on to holiness with the Holy Spirit enabling us. You might say to yourself, well, why Why is this so important? Why is this holiness thing so important? Why is this purity thing so important? Why has this change got to take place in my life? If I'm going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, why is it important for me to be changed now? Well, the whole purpose of change in this life is to bring us into right relationship with God so that we can know who he is, to truly know him and be like him. This is why Jesus came, and it's the reason for which he died. It's the reason for which he died, to reconcile the world. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. This is why we need to be telling the world about Jesus and what our hope is. And so this is all about reconciliation and relationship. This is about truly knowing God. This is about being, about being able to see him as he is. This is the crying need of our souls. Until our lives are turned from sin to Jesus, nothing else matters. This is the highest priority of our lives. Because change and transformation in my life right now is what's going to prepare me for meeting Jesus. It's going to prepare me, preparation for eternal life. And I don't know about you this morning, but I want to be as prepared as I can possibly be. Salvation is not just a transaction of Jesus taking on my sin and paying my sin debt. Salvation is not just about whether you're justified or righteous or guilty or, and condemned. Salvation is not about moral improvement or being a good person. Salvation is more about whether you and I are becoming more like God. It's not an external condition, it's an internal one. Salvation is is about being fundamentally changed from the inside out. It's about dealing with my corrupted nature, being healed of all of the distortions, being healed of all of the imperfections in my life, in the power of the Holy Spirit, so that the likeness of God is restored in me. And so it's all about being forgiven, freed from sin by God in order for him to fulfill his eternal destiny in, in me which is for me to become like him. <laughs> Jesus came to save us from sin for participation in the life of God. It boils down to the question of every believing, every believing Christian's destiny. And it's a destiny that was expressed by, by Peter in this way. Peter says that we are invited to become participants of the divine nature. Here's what he writes. He says, his divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. So, the Spirit of God in you has given you everything that you need, right? Through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. And how can we? We've also not only got the Spirit of God, but we've got the Word of God who gives us knowledge. Not only have we got the Spirit and the Word, but we've got the church that we become a part of. So, we've been given everything, right? So, He's given us through these things He's very precious and very great promises. So that through them, we can escape the corruption that is in the world because of its lusts. In other words, all of the things of the world that are so attractive and the things that we can do and stuff instead of God's things. And we can become participants of the divine nature. We can become something like God. Not become God, but become who he has made us to be. That process can begin working in our lives right now. And so we're saved so that we can have a new life in Christ, something that is exalted, something that is unique, something that is completely unlike our current state. Salvation is about your potential, not only your condition. And it's in glorification that our potential is realized. We're not raised to a new life in Christ that is simply a continuation of of this present life. We are raised to something new, something greater. Our bodies are going to be resurrected in a new creation, and these physical bodies will be reunited to our souls, our spirits, as a psychosomatic whole where we will experience the joy of the uncreated glory of God. And I know you're probably going, some of you maybe. I know, because this bends my head. It really bends my mind. I, 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 I can't quite conceive exactly what this all means or what it might look like. But I do know this, is that I want to be there. I want to be there. So let's quickly wrap it up this morning. We're saved by the grace of God, right? And God's grace is a free gift. It's not merited. It's unmerited. It's the unmerited favor of God. We can't, we're undeserving. And God, out of His outpouring of great mercy extends his grace towards us, which is a good thing, because we could never achieve salvation out of our own works. There's a lot of people who walk around today saying, but I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm going to go to heaven. Well, that's not going to get you anywhere. Salvation's got to be rooted in the mercy of God, because when it's rooted in the mercy of God, it becomes possible for everyone, right? So salvation is taking a hold, laying a hold of the grace of God. And how do we lay a hold of the grace of God? Through faith, through a, a belief, through trusting. Faith is my response to grace. This is my, res, my side of the equation. <laughs> God grants us salvation through his grace. And once I recognize that, the way that I want to accept that gift of grace, the way that I say yes to Jesus to receive that gift is through faith. Through faith. That is where I receive what God gives. Not as something that I deserve, but it's a gift to me. I lay hold of it. And the third thing I want to just hammer home again is that good works are the fruit of salvation. right? True faith is shown in the good works that you and I do. You don't just carry on living for you. You begin to say, Lord, less of me and more of you. Get Andrew out of himself, Lord. Bring more of you in me so that I can do what you want me to do. right? And, and listen, good works are not about earning brownie points with God. Oh, God, see what I did over here. Yo, give me another gold star in heaven somewhere no no it's not about bonus points good works don't produce salvation salvation produces good works and so the holy spirit is such that it changes us within which in turn produces a desire and the ability to do good works and as for the end when it comes to glorification what do we know about the second coming very little but we can be certain of a few things the first thing we can be certain of is that nobody knows the time or the hour this is what Mark tells us Jesus says, about that day or hour no one knows neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father but what we do know is that there's going to be a falling away from faith when Jesus comes before he comes and we know that the Antichrist will appear Here's what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, Paul says to um, the, the church at Thessalonica, he says, don't, don't get shaken or have your mind troubled or your, you know, by spirit or word or letter because of what we've said. Right? As, a, as if the day of Christ, I don't want you to get scared about this, Paul's saying. He says, but let no one deceive you by any means. Because that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And it seems to me, if I look around the church today and from what I've been reading about the church, especially in the West, that there is a great falling away. People are not in church on a regular basis. Church takes a, and I don't want anybody to come under condemnation, please. I'm talking universally. People have fallen fallen away from the things of God, who once professed Jesus, have turned to the things of the world and the things of darkness instead of God and the light. This is what the scripture says, there will be a great falling away. And many churches are standing empty. I lived in the UK for eight years. They're converting old churches into apartments and pubs. But when Jesus does appear, we know that he will, he's going to come again physically to judge the living and the dead. That's what we've been confessing in our creeds. Everyone's going to be brought to a place of judgment based on how they've conducted their lives. Paul says this. Uh, let's just go to this verse in Romans. He says, he will repay according to each one's deeds to those who by patiently doing. Okay, let's start this again. He will repay according to each one's deeds. To those who by patiently doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. So in other words, if, that, if you're living for him and that, those good works are playing out in your life and you're seeking his glory, you're seeking holiness, you're wanting to honor him and, and you want eternal life, he'll give it to you. But for those who are self-seeking, who obey not the truth but injustice, there's going to be wrath and fury. There will be affliction and distress for everyone who does evil. Both the Jew first and the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, both the Jew first and the Greek. And he's not talking just specifically to Jews and Greeks. We're all Greeks here this morning. He's talking about um, Gentiles. So if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, you're Greek. If you're not Greek, then you're Jewish. Any Jewish folk? I know there's some folk who got Jewish lines here this morning. Anyway. What happens after you die? Well, our body dies, but not our soul. The soul doesn't go into soul sleep. It doesn't go into limbo. It doesn't go into some wafting place. The soul goes to be with God, and it grows eternally towards God. That's what we call heaven, and heaven's not just a place. Heaven is a relationship. What is hell? Well, we're not sent there unless we choose it. When we meet God, we're either going to say to him, your will be done, or God's going to look at you and go, well, your will be done. And there's a sense that the love of God is the same in heaven as it is in hell. We experience the love of God as joy in heaven, but as pain in hell. And I'm hoping to talk a little bit more about this in the next few sermons. But I want to encourage you this morning as I wrap this up. May you be blessed as you focus your life on Jesus. And I strongly, strongly, strongly encourage you to pursue a life of holiness, a life that is set apart from the ways of the world, yet not afraid to tell those in the world of their only true hope, which is Jesus. Amen.